The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I think I've told you before that when I was a kid, I didn't understand this verse. Because I thought that what it meant is that the Lord is my shepherd and I don't want him. (laughs) And I didn't understand that because the rest of the psalm is so great. You know, like, leads me beside still waters, walks with me through trial, sets a table before me. Like, I didn't understand. It was a long time. Like, I might have been a teenager or later, but I was like, oh, that's not what it means. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want means the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. The overarching theme of our time in the book of Philippians has been maturity. We've been reading this letter asking what it teaches us about how to be a mature follower of Jesus. What does Paul teach us about maturity in Christ? Or how does Paul and his friends model for us what it means to be mature in Christ? And we've looked at the various ways as Paul is in prison, the way he is reflecting a a mature life of faith and hope and trust in Christ. How he sees every single opportunity that comes his way as an opportunity to glorify Jesus in his life or to make the gospel known. He talks about uh, humility and how that should be our attitude as we relate to other people in our life, that our attitude should be the same as that humble attitude of Jesus who took on flesh, took on the nature of a servant, and died for us. Paul points to Jesus throughout this letter as the model of what a complete and mature human being looks like. The fruit of of a life that is mature and complete is a life that bears sacrificial, life-giving service to other people. That's what we see in Paul's life, in Timothy and Epaphroditus, and in the example of Jesus. In today's sermon, we're going to look at a different quality of a mature life in Christ, and that is the quality of contentment. Contentment. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Paul writes, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Are you content? Are you content? Contentment is something that all of us want, but it also feels very elusive. Being content is something that all of us struggle with. To be content is to be satisfied with what you have right now. It's that feeling that you don't have to grasp for something more than what you already have. 
Contentment is when your soul is at rest and you don't have to feel like you're running after this thing or that thing. This or that thing might be material needs, money, status, position in your career, position or um, the approval of other people. Contentment is when your heart is in a place of rest. Contentment isn't the same thing as laziness or apathy, and that's important to say. Contentment isn't the same thing as not caring about being successful or doing a good job. Contentment is that experience that all is well. Contentment can be found in the satisfaction of doing a really hard day's work, as well as in the very quiet and still places of your life. In fact, I suggest that we can't really be living a fully content life if we're not putting our hands to good work as well as finding time for quiet and rest as well. A truly content person is at rest in every area of their life. This is something that all of us want. Nobody wants to be discontent. Discontentment is that feeling that we're lacking something that we really want. We're unsettled, we're frustrated. When we're discontent, our feelings and our thoughts and our actions are being motivated from a place inside of us of of competition with others or envy of what other people have. And none of us want to be that way. We want to be content. We want to have the feeling of enjoying the work that we do and being at rest at home or with our friends or with our family. But this idea of contentment is something that all of us struggle with. It's this virtue that we struggle with. And when we look around in our world, it seems that there really aren't a whole lot of people who are content. Contentment is not a habit of mind and heart for 21st century Americans, is it? We are trained, we are discipled by our culture into the habits of discontentment. We are trained by our culture to be discontent. Every commercial, every billboard that you see, every store that you go into, in one way or another, is trying to make you discontent. They are trying to say to you that in some way, your life is not yet as good as it otherwise could be if you just had this thing. You're not having quite as much fun in your life as you could be, so drink a Coke and all of your dreams will come true. Your dishes don't quite sparkle like they should, so use this dishwashing detergent. Your body odor just isn't as good as it otherwise could be. If you use this, you'll get the girl. Your phone screen, it's just a little bit too small or too big. I can't remember which one I'm supposed to want this year. Is it the smaller phone or the bigger phone? I can't remember which one I'm supposed to be wanting right now. You get my point. If only my razor had four blades on it rather than three blades, you know, then everything would be okay for my morning shave. You know, we laugh at these things because in the end, we know they are completely absurd, but we believe them. And there are billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars spent every year because marketers marketers know 
that we believe these messages. Sometimes in those places in our mind that are underneath the places in our mind that we're very conscious of. It's in those unconscious places where discontent gets formed and shaped inside of us. We are trained over and over again in our culture to be discontent, that our lives are not quite good enough. And so in these commercials or whatever it may be, we're given a picture of the good life, and we are told that if we will just acquire this next thing, then all will be well. Contentment is not a habit of mind and heart for 21st century Americans. But of course, discontentment is nothing new. It's nothing unique to 21st century America. In some ways, I want to suggest to you that discontentment is at the heart of the very first sin in the Garden of Eden. God gave Adam and Eve everything that they needed and everything that they truly wanted. Discontentment was possible in paradise. Sit with that for a few minutes. Discontentment was possible in paradise. Adam and Eve had everything they needed to live a life of full contentment. But they listened to a different word, the word of our enemy that told them that what God had given to them was not enough, that God was holding back something good from them. Our enemy's very first word to human beings was a temptation toward discontentment. God has not given you what you need or what you want. He's holding something back from you. I suggest to you that if you drill down into your heart and motivations, you will find that many of the problems in your life, most if not all of the sin in your life, is at its root discontentment. At the root of lust and greed and anger and jealousy and deception, there is discontentment lurking underneath all of these outward sins. If you drill down and consider the problems in our city or in our country or throughout our world, at the very base, these are caused by discontentment because people believe this deceptive word that what God has given is not enough. I don't have enough. He has more. She has it better. It's not fair. That group is getting a better deal than me. Under all of that that we carry with us is this core lie that our enemy says to us that God is holding back from us something good, something that we need. But friends, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you are seeking to grow in maturity, then contentment is an absolutely essential quality that the Holy Spirit is seeking to cultivate in you. I began my preparation for this sermon this week thinking that contentment was kind of like the icing on the cake of our life of following Jesus. And I think it's the cake. It's the thing. It's, it's the rest that we gain from knowing who Jesus is and who he is for us in our life. To know and believe the truth that the Lord is my shepherd. 
I have everything that I need. In Philippians chapter 4, Paul tells us that contentment is something that we learn. It's something that we learn. In fact, Paul says it twice. Listen to this again. Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. Uh, Verse 11. Paul says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Contentment is something that we learn. It's not a a switch that we flip on and say, I'm going to be content today. It's something we have to learn over time. And we don't, want to, we don't learn it, I suggest, from just getting a bit more information. I can't today write out on a three-by-five card, this is what contentment is, give it to each of you, and come back with a content church next Sunday. It's, it's not just something that we learn by way of information. Contentment is a virtue that is develop, developed and learned over time. And if it was easy, if it was just a switch that we would flip, we would have flipped that switch a long time ago. But all of us, in one way or another, more or less than another, struggle with this virtue of contentment. We learn contentment in life over time by walking with Jesus through any and every circumstance. Through the really good times where there is plenty and through the really hard times where there is a lot of need, we learn contentment in life over time by walking with Jesus through any and every circumstance. Paul learned contentment through his own life of following Jesus. There were times in his ministry where there was plenty. He had everything that he needed and more to do what God had called him to do and to meet his needs. And there was times where he was in great need, in prison, shipwrecked, beaten, running, cold, scared. Paul says that he has learned the secret of contentment. This is an interesting word in Greek. It's used only one time in the Bible. It's, it's right here. But the people in, the, in Philippi would have been familiar with this word. It's a word that was used to describe being initiated into a secret society. On college campuses, there are fraternities and sororities. And as you get initiated into those organizations, you learn certain, certain secrets that you then make you a part of that community. And that's the idea here. There were guilds and religions in the Roman Empire in Paul's day that part of the initiation into those communities was learning certain secrets. Paul has learned the secret of the community of contentment. He has learned the secret of the community of contentment. He has been initiated into the community that knows the secret of contentment in any and every circumstance, whether in plenty or in need. Remember, Paul is in prison as he's writing this letter. He has great need. In Rome during that time, there wasn't, um, there were no prisoners' rights. You didn't get three meals a day. 
If you were going to survive in prison, you had to have friends from the outside to come and to take care of you in that way. Paul here is facing potential execution, looking at the possibility of a painful death in the next few days or weeks, and he is content. He has learned the secret of contentment in times of need. And he's also learned the secret of contentment when he has plenty. Notice something for a moment. Implied here in this statement is that it is possible to have plenty and be discontent. Right? It's possible to have plenty and be discontent. The secret of contentment is not having plenty. Having plenty, having more, doesn't make anyone content. But we tend to think that that's what's going to help us, right? That's why Amazon has the one-click button. One-click contentment. (laughs) Not sure if it's actually going to lead to contentment, but maybe poverty, but it's going to lead to something. If we just had that one thing, if we just had that position at work, if we just had that appreciation of that person, if we just possessed plenty, then we'd be content. That's what we tend to think, and it's certainly what we're being trained to think about in our culture. The Bible is clear about this at many points. The rich young ruler comes to Jesus, and this guy has it all. He has authority over people. He has respect of the people around him. He has wealth. And on top of that, he's just a good guy. He's kept all of the commandments. But even he is discontent. Lord, what do I need to do to enter into the kingdom? When the Israelites go into the promised land, God warns them that when they become wealthy in the promised land, that they shouldn't forget God and become greedy. Having more, having plenty is not the secret of contentment. So what is the secret? I think that answer is found, at least in part, in verse 13. One of the most famous verses in all of Scripture. I can do all things. I can do all of this through him who gives me strength. This is a famous verse. Um, Athletes like to tattoo it on their arms or put Philippians 4.13 on their shoes. And I can appreciate the sentiment there of desiring to give glory to God for our success. But Philippians 4.13 isn't about Christ giving the strength to win a football game. In fact, I would suggest to you that it's just as much about our heart and attitude when we lose the football game as it is when we win it. I can do all things through him who gives me strength is just about or more about us reflecting the attitude of Christ in times of suffering, in times of failure, in times of disappointment, as it is in times of plenty. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4.13 is referring explicitly to the secret of contentment. We can do all things. We can face every circumstance. We can walk through every trial and success and failure and sickness. I can walk through times of plenty and I can walk through times of need because it is Christ who lives in me and it is Christ who gives me the strength to do that. The secret to contentment in any and every circumstance is not a possession, but a person. 
The secret of contentment is not self-sufficiency, getting more of what I need. It is Christ-sufficiency, because he is more than enough. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. The secret of contentment is to see that, that Jesus has invited us into a life where every day and every circumstance becomes a moment for him and for his strength to be more and more formed in me. That Jesus has invited us into a life where every day, every circumstance becomes a moment and opportunity where he is being formed in you. Contentment does not come from our ability to acquire a little bit more, to gain the material things that you want or need. Contentment does not come, will not come from doing one more thing that gains the approval of that person whose approval you want. It does not come from doing the one more good work that will make you feel better about yourself. Contentment comes from abiding in Christ, who gives you strength then to face any and every circumstance. Christ is the key to contentment, not as an idea, but as a person, alive and with you, alive as a person that you meet with and speak with and and pray to and who you eat from and drink from and who you hear from in his word. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This verse isn't about him making you able to do and accomplish anything. This all things that he is referring to is facing our life in the times of need and times of abundance and finding his strength there to endure all of it. So right now in your life, I suggest to you that Jesus is seeking to teach you the secret of contentment in one way or another. He is initiating you into the community of contentment. And the way that he is doing that is through the various circumstances that you are facing in your life right now, the good and the bad, the easy and the difficult, the plenty and the spaces of need in your life. In those circumstances, God is wanting to use those circumstances to cultivate his contentment in you. And so what I'd like for you to do is want to take a, a couple minutes of silence. I would like to ask you to reflect on some area of your life where you are experiencing discontentment. Take a couple minutes and consider what area of your life where you are experiencing discontentment. Let's take a couple minutes to bring that situation, that circumstance, that relationship, whatever it is, to bring that to mind. Maybe it's a place of need. Maybe it's a place of plenty. Where are you experiencing discontentment? Over the next couple minutes here, I just want you to hold that, that circumstance, that experience of discontentment with you in your mind. We're going to talk about a couple of ways that I think that Paul instructs us or models for us in Philippians about how to respond in a mature way to that discontentment and also a way that will cultivate and development contentment in you. I believe that 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 place, that place of need and discontentment in your life is actually a place where Jesus wants to meet you. 
It's a place of the open door for him to enter into your life and be available to you. So first, just a few verses earlier, Paul says these words, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. As you think about that place in your life where you're experiencing discontentment, how is that circumstance an occasion for prayer? A place for you to meet with God and to talk to him about that discontentment. That circumstance in your life is the doorway into real relationship and intimacy with God. God doesn't want to be involved in your life only in the mountaintop experiences or only here on Sunday or even only in your daily devotional times of prayer with him day to day. He wants to be a part of every single circumstance of your life. And so how is this circumstance, this discontentment, a place for you to abide with the person of Jesus? For that circumstance to be a place of prayer, a place of thanksgiving and gratitude for what he has given to you, or a place where you can ask an earnest plea for help. God, I need your help here for resources that I do not have. Please bring them. That that place of discontentment would be a place for you to move into relationship with Jesus. A second way that Paul models for us or teaches us here in Philippians when it comes to our discontentment is to consider how that circumstance, that feeling of discontentment in your life is an opportunity to reflect Christ. In the opening pages of Philippians, Paul tells us that he's in prison, that he's in chains. That seems like a very easy place to be discontent, right? Like if I was in prison, in chains, I think discontentment would come very quickly. But Paul takes that feeling of discontentment and he does this judo move. These chains become an opportunity for the gospel to go forward. Paul has this Christ-centered, gospel-oriented perspective on life. Every circumstance is an opportunity for Christ's life to be reflected through my life to others. I may be executed. If so, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Or later in chapter 2, Paul talks about our attitude toward others being the same as the attitude of Jesus who considered other people's needs above himself. As you think about that experience of discontentment, is that an opportunity for you to get out of your own head and to consider the needs of others? Maybe you are in a place where you just really want a little bit more income. And you believe if you just had a little bit more income, then whatever else would be able to come its way. Well, in that moment, what would it look like for you to pause and to consider the needs of others as more important than your own? To practice that humility and care for others in that very place where you feel most discontent. To model, or to, to follow the model of Jesus, who considered others better than himself. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I think my misunderstanding of this verse early on in life describes us all too well. The Lord is my shepherd. And I don't want him. 
he's not enough. We have a good shepherd who leads us beside still waters, who gives us plenty and restores our souls, who walks with us in our very darkest times in the valley of the shadow of death. We have a good shepherd who is with us in times of plenty and in times of need, and we don't want him. But Paul has learned the secret of the true translation of Psalm 23.1. The Lord is my shepherd, and so I have everything that I need. How is God calling you today to receive this good news in your life? Let's pray. Lord, we confess that you are our shepherd, and a lot of times we don't want you. You are not enough. And so, God, I pray that through the instruction of Paul, through the example of Paul and Jesus himself, uh, that you would teach us that the Lord is my shepherd and that I, because of that, have everything that I need. Amen.